Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Petko Stoyanov. Petko, how you doing? I'm doing great, Rachel. I think we're, I'm excited for today's guest. We're going to talk about something that <laughs> I think impacts all of us, but we don't want to admit it sometimes, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Isn't and it's kind of you know living living life in a bubble sometimes is not a good thing. So so let's jump right to it. Let's welcome to the podcast Jennifer Cook. She is senior director of marketing at the National Cybersecurity Alliance. Welcome, welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. So I mean. Where to start? I guess let's start at the top, though, because for some people, they may not know the great work that the National Cybersecurity Alliance does, particularly, you know, National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, which I think is actually a global initiative, correct? So you've got a lot of partners. I mean, like, tell us tell us how that is, because I'm sure it's been blowing up, particularly in the last five years or whatever, since we've been seeing much more focus on cybersecurity at the uh, um, at the presidential level, right, at the administration level. Absolutely. Yeah. So the National Cybersecurity Alliance is a nonprofit organization, and it's our mission to make sure everybody has access to free, easy to understand resources about cybersecurity and about staying safe online. So we've actually been around for over 20 years at this point, always focus on that mission of, you know, cybersecurity awareness and education. But we have absolutely seen it, seen interest in it explode over just the past even two or three years. So we co-lead Cybersecurity Awareness Month every year with CISA. Um, we work with a lot of partners around the world. Um, we call them our, our champions. They sign up to receive our resources and promote those resources to their employees and their communities. And we actually, just this past October and during Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we had a uh, almost a 100% increase in the number of registered partners. Uh, so these people signing up to uh, again, uh, receive and distribute our information. Uh, they came from organizations representing over uh, 120 different countries. That is a huge increase in the amount of interest and partnerships we've seen compared to the rest of the campaign. So it was really exciting to see uh, different partners, uh, different people from so, such a variety of organizations as well, schools, higher education, government organizations, nonprofits, so many different industries just across the board getting involved in I getting, love that. I love uh, schools too, right? I mean, it's, you know, I, we, we've talked about this on the podcast mm-hmm. and, you know, Petco has younger children too, just the access to technology at these really young ages, you know, and, and just trying to, to be aware of how you live your life online, particularly when that's all you've known. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and that kind of awareness earlier and particularly in, in, as well as for cyber careers, right? So I, I think that's really exciting. Um, the great work that you guys are doing there. Um, so can we like, so this time of year, there's a lot of opportunities for scams. I'm going to jump right into it, Petco. Now, this is, this is what makes it so interesting. Um, I, I think for, for this world that we live in, in cyber or as an industry, um, you know, there's always new ways in. And, and I think, you know, romance scams where, you know, Valentine's day is upon us is, is, is a nice jumping off point for, for a lot of the things that we're seeing that, that really do impact 
consumers. And you know, you guys recently wrote a blog post I saw uh, on your website um, just about this topic and just how prevalent it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we just came out with uh, some new information about romance and online dating scams. We also have a toolkit available uh, for anyone who wants to share resources, again, in their organizations. But so romance scams, I happens year round, but we do take this opportunity around Valentine's Day to talk about it, especially maybe people are, you know, going on to their dating apps or, you know, websites looking for love a little bit more than they did the rest of the year. So it's just a good opportunity to talk about how prevalent these scams can be and, you know, what to look out for, what to do if you spot a scam or if you find yourself uh, kind of hooked into a romance scam. You know, I was really surprised. I was doing look looking into this, right? Because you do hear about these things. And it was $1.3 billion in losses due to romance scams last year, um, according to the FTC. And this is the total of the previous five years combined, just last year. And you're seeing that this is, uh, and that's only what's been reported is the other piece of it, you know? And and that's that's kind of staggering, um, you know? And, and it's, where do people start? I mean, what are some of the tips that you guys have, have been kind of sharing with folks, Jennifer? Because it's, it's easy to get caught up, I think, sometimes in differentiating between a genuine, <laughs> that genuine person, you know, versus uh, not. <laughs> right, Rachel, I got to ask, what's a romance scam? <laughs> Maybe it's just me, but I'm thinking, you know, I struggle to figure out, like, you know, what it is. Can we define it first? Okay, let's because, back up. yes. I mean, when I hear 1.3 billion, I'm like, where I don't have 1.3 billion. I mean, what's how, who's scamming, you know, who for 1.3 billion? So let's define the romance scam because I'd love to understand what it is. Because I, I think Nash cybersecurity's got so many challenges, and now we're adding, you know, the human side of it, it sounds like. But I want to make sure, like, what are some of the stories, Jennifer, that you typically see around, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that folks are worried about? And what, ha- like, what's the process this ha- that this happens? Sure. So romance scams have been around for quite some time. And I think especially the general public might hear about them and think about the maybe the Nigerian prince scam, someone sending you a, a random email yes. asking, you know, I'm, I, I need help. I'm a prince. Like, please send me money. And we all know that is a scam. It's very obvious. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think there is still there might still this, be this perception that that's what romance scams look like, that they're very easy to respond. To, to spot, you know, you know, to click delete right away. But romance scams can be so incredibly complex. So, you know, say you're on a, uh, you might be on a dating website or an app, maybe it's social media, and you're, you know, you're looking for love, you're talking to people throughout the day, trying to make connections. And romance scammers are also on these platforms, they might create a fake profile on this, uh, on this site. And, you know, you strike up a conversation with them and it's, it might not always be obvious that you're talking to a scammer. Sometimes it is, you know, right off the bat, if they're, if they're asking for money, you know, you might, you know, ignore the conversation or report the conversation, but romance scammers have gotten so, uh, you know, it has gotten so complex and very, very hard to spot. So, uh, these scammers really try to, you know, connect with you in this conversation. They want you to feel that emotional connection to them. They want you to, you know, fall in love with them through these platforms. And then, you know, 
you might start to spot some of the red flags. Maybe they are, uh, maybe they're saying they're going to come visit you and breaking those promises. Maybe uh, they might, and this is, I think, the biggest and most common red flag is if they start asking for money, especially something that's for something urgent, maybe a, a medical expense. Um, maybe it's a plane ticket to come and see you. You know, they want you to act without thinking to to send them money. And so that is, you know, really the biggest red flag of these scams is a request for money, especially if it's one through uh, they want you to send preloaded gift cards, wire transfer, mm-hmm. cryptocurrency. So scammers will strike up a relation with someone on this dating platform, build trust. Um, they might, you know, chat with you for multiple days or weeks or months before they make their first move and ask you for money or, you know, kind of send you a a sad story about why they need help. Um, and that's how, you know, people get roped in. It sounds like a lot of work, but... <laughs> For depending on what you're getting out of it too, but I wonder about you know things like AI though, right? I mean, is does that start making these kind of scams mm-hmm. like easier, easier to execute, meaning less human direct touch of the type and response? Or I think of like a Chat GPT. Everyone's talking about that, but um, is is this becoming something that's almost automated for them to do? When we think about all this introduction of AI, so. Um, you could have theoretically like a thousand of these scams happening at the same time. And, and then you kind of like you're waiting to see which one you're like, oh, I'm ready to pounce. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of even before AI, these scammers use a lot of the same, you know, the language and tactics. Um, I think the ones that are really, you know, trying to hook someone in for the long run are trying to, you know, say exactly what that person wants to hear. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, I think too, I mean, a lot of feeding it, right, is, you know, and, and Petco knows, he's probably sick of me talking about TikTok. I'm kind of obsessed with TikTok right now and, and what you put on. But if someone were going to go peep on my profiles, they would Caps. see, I, I really, well, I, I, I have dogs, I have dogs, you learn, you know, but you'd see I'm an animal person. And, you know, I, I could imagine someone coming on strong with, with the, with the animal, you know, trying to like, hey, I'll be your friend, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it's, it, it's just interesting that everything you put out in the world now, you really have to, you know, be suspicious of everything. It's, I almost feel like innocence is lost. <laughs> and, you know, that is one of our top cybersecurity tips for people, especially people on dating apps, is to set your social media profiles to private because, you know, think about what you're posting on social media and who's going to see it. You know, if you're posting photos of you and your dog, you know, that might be an opportunity for uh, someone to look at your social media profile, reach out on a dating app and say, hey, you know, you you have a border collie, so do I. And they make that connection point and that's how they get in. <laughs> I, I think in the government, they, they have this concept called operational security or OPSEC. And it's that exact same thing. Be aware of what you put out, you know, in terms of information. And if someone's using that exact mm-hmm. same public information to be Fendry or, you know, strike up conversation, you know, be a little bit more aware of it because it is public. Don't assume it's private. Yeah, that's that's a really good mm-hmm. point. And, you know, I guess a tangential scam that I'm I just learned this this term uh, we were talking about. And it's not the actual act of pig butchering, but 
like legit who comes up with the pig butchering name scam. But it's basically, and see, this is what, where it gets me a little nervous because I'm all about the text messaging. You know, so someone ostensibly, if, if, if I'm describing this right, Jennifer, keep me honest, is it, you know, someone basically text messages you purportedly, oh, I'm so sorry, I've got the wrong number, but while I've got you, uh, and, and, that, and that seems to be coming like another pathway in, like kind of direct route, if you will. Yeah. And this isn't, you know, exclusive to online dating. This could happen on social media, you know, WhatsApp, texting platform. Someone uh, might text you and say like, oh, you know, sorry, wrong number. But like you're saying, while I have you, like, you know, they try to strike up a start of friendship Mm -hmm. through text. Um, You know, they're not going to just jump right into the send me money. But uh, I think typically in pig butchering scams, a scammer might reach out again, making an emotional connection with someone like really trying to to connect with them. The the person on the receiving end feels like they know this person, they're friends, um, they're becoming very close. And then eventually and the scammer might bring up an opportunity for an investment, say like a money making opportunity. And that's where the scam comes in. They try to, you know. They, I think they call it pig butchering because they're trying to, to fatten up the pig, <laughs> get them to get them involved in this, you know, investment scam uh, yes. and eventually, you know, send them as much money as possible. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I had an interesting one that was very related to this. It was text messaging, random text message from a number I didn't recognize, but they signed it as someone I personally knew, someone I've met before, but they also happened to be on LinkedIn, this person. So they pretended to be someone I was connected to on LinkedIn. And at, at first, you know, they're confirming, hey, this, I, this is my new number. You know, is this Petco? And I'm like, yes, it is, thinking, you know, I know who they are. And then later on, they start saying, hey, can you do me a favor? And I'm like, well, what is it? You know, and he's like, hey, I'm stuck in this board meeting or something very specific to like this individual. Can you, can you do me a favor? I'm like, okay, what is it? Go to the store and get me a gift card. What? <laughs> And I was like, okay, that's a scam. So I just de- de- blocked them that's immediately. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you can buy gift cards online. This buddy of mine is not going to ask me to go to a store and get a gift card. That is hilarious. <laughs> it's another interesting point thinking of LinkedIn. Um, also being careful who you're connecting with on social media. You know, I think some of us on LinkedIn, we get a request and we just add the person. But right. think about if you really know that person or is that person going to use you to make a connection with someone else saying like, Hey, I know Petco that's going to get me in, in with Rachel, um, if we're a connection. So just also being careful again, who you're sharing your, you know, your profile yeah, with who you're connecting really with on social good, media. Good point. <laughs> yeah. A lot, of, a lot of accept, 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 accept. Yeah. Don't even think about it. Yeah, I just thought it was unique that they used the, the LinkedIn and then somehow got my cell phone number. You know what I mean? And then you pretend to be someone. So they've got some data mining system in the background that's probably looking through names and finding them and then giving yeah, the data out. Yeah, apps. I was reading in one of the articles, I think it was like ZDNet, that there's there's apps in like the Apple and Google app stores. They somehow, I guess, sneak through these pig butchering apps. So, isn't that crazy? Yeah. As, as I guess to facilitate said activities. <laughs> I just, uh, wow. Wow. Okay. So this is, this is so much fun. So many, so many scams. Okay. So another big one I want to talk about and including LinkedIn as well are job scammers. You know, we are reading all about these layoffs, you know, across these different industries right now. And this was the one I think that, that really breaks my heart the most. Um, 
just for, you know, people who, you know, they need a job, they, you know, need to feed the family and people take advantage of, you know, folks, folks legitimately looking for a job and, and finding ways to, you know, ask them to pay for, I don't know, like an application fee or something. I mean, are you guys seeing more and more of this, Jennifer, your side? We are. Yeah, actually, we also just uh, Mm -hmm. came up with a a blog post on this topic, too. So and, you know, similar to romance scams scams and other types of scams, you know, people are reaching out to those at vulnerable points, whether they're looking for a love or they're looking for a job. It's a very stressful time. You might be communicating with a lot of different people at once, sending in applications or sending personal uh, information through applications. So we are seeing uh, scam, uh, you know, scammy jobs posted, they might ask for an application fee. They might ask you to send personal information, say, you know, a social security number or, um, other information to apply for the job or to move forward in the process. So we always tell people with those to make sure you're thinking before sending any, you know, First off, don't send, you know, any personal information over email. Think before you're you're clicking on links, like especially if someone is sending you an email or a message in uh, a job search platform, you know, always think before you click, uh, do your research on the company that's reaching out to you as well. And if you're applying to a job, they're not going to ask for right. an application yeah, fee. That's, that's, that's a scam. It's, some of the stuff too seems so simple. You're like, how, why, why would I ever fall for that? But I, you know, you also think in the moment to your point, this vulnerability, right? It seems to be this recurring thing. We saw it, you know, particularly with COVID, right? Everyone taking advantage of, of an epidemic in order to try to scam people. And it's, you know, it, it, it's just kind of fascinating. All the, you don't realize, I guess, as humans, just how vulnerable we are, you know, and, and on the right day, they could be successful. Yeah. And, you know, we all we use technology all day and we all let our guards down at some point. And there's also a rush, especially when we're working, responding, responding to emails to to get it done, to like cross an email off the list just to click like without thinking of it. And scammers are bidding on that. You will just click the link in the email without thinking about who is this coming from? What's the email address? And you see that, especially with, you know, just kind of general phishing attempts in your inboxes. It's using a sense of uh, playing on your emotion or using a sense of excitement or urgency. You see that you saw that during COVID, uh, you know, urgent click here to, you know, you know, get your vaccine or, um, you know, trying to get you to click on something as quickly as possible. And it's interesting, like they've moved from email to a lot more text messaging lately. And and in this hyper-connected world, you're, Kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you're either you're on the road or you're connected con- constantly. You're sometimes responding before without thinking via text message or like I'm just thinking through, you know, hey, sign up for this lottery or s- fill out this form because of this settlement that you might have seen. And next thing you give them your social and then they take that data yes. and mine you elsewhere. And I think we, you know, we, we've we all been taught, you know, be careful with self, with email scams. But I think we got to keep that in mind with text messaging. Yes. Yeah, I think we're also, you know, just receiving a lot more through text messages. You know, if you you might receive a order confirmation if you're placing an Amazon order or maybe you expect to receive text messages with like a multi-factor authentication code. I think we're kind of more used to clicking on those messages and we expect to see those messages. So it's easier for others to, you know, to slip by. Absolutely. And I guess that's where I struggle because they never come from like FedEx, like I love the FedEx updates and texts, right? I mean, I love all the text messages and, you know, the, it's USPS coming your way, click, click. And, but the numbers are never such that you would 
You know what I mean? Like when you look at the text message number, you're like, it's a weird number to begin with. So it's like, how do I validate? You know, so this convenience factor now I'm, I'm right. like, eh, I, like I want to click so bad, Jennifer. I want to click it so bad. <laughs> so what do I do instead? <laughs> slow down, Rachel. You got to slow down and think before you click. Oh, it's very exactly. frustrating. There's so, I mean, but the, so what is next then with, with the, um, the texting then? I mean, is it MFA texting, you know, like just as you would access an application or a website now, is it MFA? Like, how do you validate that text? Or you just now just assume all texts are bad and I have to go to FedEx and type in the, you know, 89 character (laughs) tracking number and hope I don't get one, one of the letters wrong, um, you know, versus just being able to click the link. I think there are, you know, some things you can still look out for with a text message. You know, if something is coming through on a thread, you know, you've received other texts from FedEx, you know, I I think it's pretty safe to assume that's the same, that's the same number. But if it's one that's popping up with no other thread, you know, those can be legitimate. Sometimes you get a a text from FedEx and it's coming from a very weird number, but that is the, what, how FedEx is trying to contact you. I, I mean, I think it's better, better to be safe than sorry for me personally. I, Try not to click those links. I do go on to FedEx or see if they sent me an email uh, where it might be a little easier to verify, you know, where that um, that URL is going to bring me. So I, I try to get both the email and the text updates. Um, but yeah, as much as possible, if I can go to type in yeah, the web address on my browser without clicking on anything and look up the information that way, that's what I try to do. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you, I'm actually impressed with FedEx and UPS's apps and like the apps work so well, I don't even need the text messaging. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but just how many apps are you going to have on your phone? I'm kind of apt out, Petco. I'm apt out. I mean, I got, you know how like scrolling I have to go to like find apps on my phone? It's crazy. I mean, I love the app experience, but, you know, they're all separate and they all require separate authentication and all the other things. And it, uh, Rachel, you and I have a little training session on maybe getting rid of some of those cat and dog apps and all those other ones. I'm I'm sure. (laughs) But you could always say, you know, hey, Siri, hey, Google, open up this app. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. (laughs) Or delete some apps maybe. But you never know. Is is app hoarding a thing? Like you never know when you're going to need that app. And you don't, you know, what if you can't download it in the moment and you're not, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying. (laughs) That's going to be the next reality series, app hoarders. (laughs) Hilarious. Okay. But I, I do, I, do, I know it's hilarious. All right, but I do want to kind of segue though here because I think in in the grand scheme of all of this, Jennifer, the thing that I struggle with the most, and, and you you hear about there was um, this wonderful Netflix series called Web of Lies, um, and they kind of feature I think it was like four or five different stories, um, and and we had uh, the, one of the producers on you know months ago, and Brian he was amazing, um, but it's the legality. How do you prosecute a lot of these things. And and one of the stories they featured in this particular series was on sextortion. These high school girls, um, you know, caught up in the sextortion. And, and long story short, it turned out to be this fellow that 
they knew and went to school with. Like he was friends with one of the girls and she was crying to him about what was going on. Um, and, and it was almost impossible to prosecute him. I mean, the, the girls, you know, kind of finally got, got real creative and figured out a way to track it back to him and you know, had to work together. But thank goodness they, they knew each other and were able to work together. Otherwise, he never would have been prosecuted. It's, and that's, and you kinda, that seems to be a recurring refrain for cyber scams, Jennifer. I mean, are, are you guys hearing a lot about that too? We are. And I think for scams and for romance scams, they often cross, uh, you know, countries right. across international borders, which makes it very complicated, you know, whose responsibility is it to prosecute? Is it someone, you know, maybe in the U.S. that's getting scammed or is the scammer coming from another country? You know, whose responsibility yes. is it? Um, so I, we do, you know, we always encourage people to report, but it, it can be very complicated. The, I, our advice, the best thing you can do is report to the platform, the U.S. Secret Service, the FBI are working with victims of scams and romance scams all the time to, you know, to, to help them to try to prosecute these cases. But it can be very complicated. Because yeah. I, I imagine these things move with such speed, too. And they're and they're like to your point, they're complex. I mean, you're dealing with probably, you know, different countries and with different laws, um, you know, and, and I imagine it'd be really difficult for even like local law enforcement. I mean, you know, the FBI and they're working with this, but a lot of times you go to local law enforcement to see how they can help. And, and it's almost like, is there training available to help with like tools and resources for these kind of things? It's really tough. I think local law enforcement, um, doesn't, they don't always have right. the, the resources or the education to know how to help with, uh, with these scams, um, you know, it's not like they all have cyber divisions. Um, I, that's why I think it is important to report to federal agencies so they can help as well mm -hmm. as report to the platform so they can direct you to the right place. Uh, we do tell people to report to local law enforcement as well. Uh, but that is something that I think as, you know, an industry, we need to work on making sure that local law enforcement has the resources they need to help victims because they might be the first point of interaction for a victim as well. The first place they go when they're, uh, you know, come across the scam. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, that would be your first, first thought, but it's, I mean, it's unrealistic to believe that every single, you know, especially some of the smaller towns and counties, I mean, it's, it's so complex and, and moving so quickly. How do you even keep up with it? It's, it's almost like, is there like a national, cyber, I don't know, police force. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if only there was a national cyber security alliance. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But, but it, it seems like an, a need, but it's almost like um, curriculum wise, you know, just as soon as you would learn about one thing, then this other thing comes up and it's, it just is like a never ending hamster wheel. And, and how do you address that? Yeah, it's tough. And I think that's a great idea for our for our next project. But it is interesting to think about, you know, the amount the when, you know, the average member of the general public is the victim of a cyber attack, you know, thinking about where are they going to go? Where, where are they going to look for resources? So local law enforcement, there are people that also go to their to their libraries or community centers to ask for help or maybe bring their laptop in. So I think it's important for the National Cybersecurity Alliance, our organization, and for other organizations to understand where people are going and to make sure that those community leaders are, you know, have the right resources to help members of their community. Yeah, that's some really great guidance. 
and you know, the other one that it's kind of top of mind too, is we come into tax season, which is my least favorite time of year. Um, but there's also tax fraud scams. I mean, so what, how did these work, Jennifer? Cause this is my biggest concern. I do all of my, I probably shouldn't even say this, but I do all my taxes online. I shouldn't say that out loud. Um, <laughs> You know, so what do you look out for with those? Because that's coming up here soon, tax deadlines. Yeah, you know, most people do file their taxes online. It's hard to avoid being online and filing your taxes. So for tax time, uh, of course, watching out for scams that are specific to tax time. The big one is anyone that's emailing or texting or calling to claiming to be from the IRS um, saying that you owe them money, threatening you, again, using that sense of urgency or saying, oh, here's your tax refund, click this link to get it. That's never how the IRS is going to contact you. Um, so that's a big one to look out for. We tell people also just uh, file your taxes early too to prevent anyone from trying to file taxes in you know, your name to prevent identity theft as well. Filing early can help, oh, wow. uh, you know, help prevent that. Um, the uh, We do have also resources for reporting, reporting to the, the IRS. You can report tax fraud. You can report phishing scams related to, to taxes, to uh, reporting to the FTC as well. Um, but the tax time is complicated. It is, again, a very stressful time. And that's why scammers are going to take advantage, try to take yes. advantage of you during this time. You're very stressed out. You just want to get it done quickly. Um, so, you know, it's important to be prepared for tax time. You know, if you work with a tax preparer, do your research, understand how you're going to communicate with your tax preparer. Should you expect emails from them? Do they have a safe way for you to send them documents? Not all, not all of them do. Sometimes they just ask you like, okay, right. send me an email with all of your most, you know, personal information. I'll take care of it from there. Or understanding, you know, if you're working at a firm, who's going to have access to your data? This is very sensitive information. Right. So just, I think, especially even before you start filing your taxes, getting those questions out of the way, making sure you're working with the right person, knowing how to securely send documents, uh, backing up your documents are really important. Yeah, Jennifer, it's funny. I mean, I know the IRS has got a great um, form out there. It's actually not for not form, but really like a list of checklists for tax professionals say, you know, how to communicate, how to do backups, because it, God forbid your tax professional is loses your data, you know, <laughs> And that, or just deletes it accidentally or whichever. But one thing I found that helps a lot from an identity theft standpoint is on the IRS website, if you have not done this already, make sure you go and actually register and create your account. Because what can happen is someone can pretend to be you, register, and then request transcripts electronically without even you knowing it. So you should definitely make sure you're registered on IRS's website, Social Security website, because you wouldn't want someone else pretending to be you and changing the address on the back end without you realizing it. Yeah. And when you go on and register, they give you an IP pin, an identity protection pin, so that if something happens, you have uh, your pin is only known to you and the IRS. Um, it helps verify your identity uh, when you file your taxes. So then it makes it easier to work with the IRS to um you know, recover your identity if something happens. That's yeah, really so you don't smart. just need to submit through TurboTax or whatever software you're using. You could also go on the IRS or register your profile, get the right pin, and then use that in TurboTax going forward from identity theft. Nice. Genius, yeah. as always, Petco. Great suggestion. 
I have too many apps. It's, it, it, I think there was an article I read years ago that recommended doing that. And there was like literally identity theft that hit the IRS because of that. And yes. that's where they started doing the pins. And then Social Security was the other one that got hit pretty hard with that same concept. So if you've got government websites that you are, you know, you actually do business with either IRS, Social Security, or even like your local state, just make sure you register with them and make sure you're managing that so that someone else doesn't take ownership of it, pretending to be you. Yeah. So scary. And it's so hard. I, from everything I've read, it's so hard to get your identity back once, once people take it over. It's, it's crazy what it takes to get it back. I don't know about you, Rachel. I think I've got more identity protection than I can ever imagine. I do. Well, particularly because <laughs> of all the breaches that have happened. So then you get all this, I have all the, all the things. It's kind I of wonderful. I've had them all. I have no idea if they even, <laughs> who's on first is the question. Like if something did happen, who pays first? And I, I think yeah. that's going to be the problem we're going to have next. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, okay, so I do want to get to like what well, I think we're you know, mindful of time, but one final favorite topic of mine that I have yet to embrace, and I'm sure you use these Petco are password managers. Now mm-hmm. I read everyone's last pass. Everyone's on the last pass. I saw there was a breach, but Jennifer, you guys actually had a blog post. I was so I was so uh, fascinated. You guys had a blog post on this exact topic as I was starting to think: Should I embrace a password manager? Um, you know, what is it that you guys recommend? We do recommend password managers. So we actually, uh, we have a report that comes out every year on cybersecurity attitudes and behaviors. And we ask people, how do, how do they manage their passwords? Uh, the most popular answer was writing them down in a notebook. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Which to me sounds like a lot of work. Um, other popular answers were, you know, storing them in, uh, on your phone, like in a notes app, um, you know, in an email or a spreadsheet, but there are a number of people that do use password managers. They're becoming very popular. And there was the, the last pass breach, um, a few weeks ago, but it is a, f- a form that we highly mm-hmm. recommend because it's so important to have those strong, unique passwords, long passwords mm-hmm. that, it's just, it's so hard to remember them. If you're, you can't remember all of those. We have so many hundreds of accounts. Like it's too hard to manage writing them all in a notebook. Password managers are really the best way to manage that. So, and, you know, in a lot of these breaches, it's very, very rare for someone's password to get leaked. It might be other other data. So, and it's important also to, in case that happens, having multi-factor authentication set up on your account. So then if someone gets that password stored in a password manager, they still can't get right. into your account. So we recommend password managers. Um, they A lot of them also have a lot of other features that tell you if your password was in a breach, like telling you like if you have repeat passwords. There are just so many great security benefits of using a password manager that we highly recommend them. Yeah. I'm sure you use one, right, Petco? Oh, absolutely. I've been using it for years. I actually got my whole family on it, the wife, the mother, and I trained my mother, which to have a unique password for every single website. So it's taken uh, probably over a decade, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) the great, the great thing is now she can go to the website, click it logs in for her. She doesn't have to think about it. So it's something I think that we underestimate, you know, Using a long yeah. password, because I mean, the the, the 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 flipper is if you have the same password for every single website, it just takes one breach. So right. it's all password managers are really all about reducing your attack surface. So different usernames, different passwords. You know, I, I I've done it all. I think at this point to make it simple simple for myself. 
to right. manage. But I'm a big, big fan of password managers. I mean, I know the browsers have plenty built into them as well. Um, but I use third parties because I can use it on my phone, my iPad, you know, and even in various computers without having to worry about it. But. I think it's especially great for families, too, because it uh, you can securely send passwords to other people in your family uh, instead of, you know, sending them a text with like, you know, what's the Netflix <laughs> password? You can send them a, a secure encrypted message. To share Netflix. <laughs> Not anymore for maybe the yeah, next few days. But, but, but. I, I think to your point, like the password managers, you know, aren't just for passwords. I think people underestimate that they they're doing more than that now. I mean, they're doing dark web monitoring to say, is this mm-hmm. been breached? Should you be aware of it? Hey, this password we don't know what the password is but the hash of this looks really similar to this other thing we think you should change it you know like it tells you which ones have been breached and that is huge that i think when you you've got that preventative mechanism say you know this password has been reused let's go ahead and change them on these websites for you some will actually help you so well that's wonderful because sometimes you're on websites and they're kind of sketch and You know, but, you know, like, you want to watch a movie, maybe, if it's not available anywhere else. And it's like, you log in. Rachel, is is this part of your apps that you can't see download? Is that what it is? Yeah, you know, I have a friend, he sends me, because he knows I love, like, you know, international movies, and they're not always easy to find. Um, And there's this one called, like, Movie Berry. um, And it's, it's hilarious. You pay, like, you can pay, like, seven cents for, like, an iPhone recorded movie which is completely illegal by the way i acknowledge that i don't watch them but it's just funny that there's all these things out there and so he's always sending me these sketch apps like oh hey you can watch you know your favorite korean thrillers on this one and like i don't i don't know i don't know so it'd be nice to kind of yeah have a little backup for for rachel do you have netflix i use my mom's password i use my mom's (laughs) (laughs) we need to delete that just kidding (laughs) It's it's been like fifteen years too. I I'm, uh, yeah. I'm not ashamed. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask but, her to upgrade her her subscription so I to keep doing that. So <laughs> same household, right, Rachel? <laughs> um, yeah. Wink, wink. It sure is. Just different IP addresses, but the same house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't. I can't believe I'm in cyber some days. So. So <laughs> to, to wrap up, though, Jennifer, um, I do love to ask people, though, how did you get into this world? Like, I love cyber. I was so excited to find this industry, you know, years ago. And, and I want more and more people to come to it because they don't realize that you could be a psychologist and come into security and, and bring you know such a great perspective. But how did you kind of find your way here? So I've been in the world of cybersecurity for a little over five years, actually, since I started at the National Cybersecurity Alliance, and it's definitely not where I expected to end up. Uh, So my background was in marketing, Mm. events, and nonprofit work. uh, And the combination of those three, I was able to apply to cybersecurity, to my surprise, um, and apply to cybersecurity education. I mean, actually, a lot of the way we talk about cybersecurity in our Mm. articles is kind of marketing cybersecurity, trying to get people's attention. Um, And I've, you know, become in that time very passionate about 
the human element of cybersecurity, you know, talking to people and employees and using that, you know, marketing knowledge to get the messaging to resonate, which has been really exciting. But yeah, it's something we talk about a lot when we talk about cybersecurity careers is that you don't have to just be super technical, good at science or coding. There are so many different jobs uh, that require different skill sets, hard skills and soft skills. You could be, you know, we have a a program right now for college students to teach them about cybersecurity careers. And it's open to all majors because really you can be in, you know, business, communication, psychology, um, legal studies. There is a, a role for you to play in cybersecurity. There's, there's a career wonder, for you. Too, I mean, at, at some point, because, you know, p- particularly when you look at business, right? I mean, cybersecurity is inherent in any kind of business operation plan today. Uh, and it permeates literally every aspect of our personal and professional lives. And so I, I wonder at some point, does it just become integrated into everything we do and we don't actually have cyber careers? It just becomes a skill that everybody has at some point in time. I, you know, maybe that's in the next 10 years or something like that, but um, I, I think that would be wonderful. And it's the education, Jennifer, you know, the great work that you guys are doing, um, you know, to help people like realize it's, it's not this, this scary esoteric thing. It's, it's actually something that everyone can contribute to, um, you know, and the more we all learn, you know, kind of the smarter <laughs> we can, we can be um, some of us later than others, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we <laughs> we compare it also to talking about you know the habits we take on in terms of physical security. Like there was a time where people had to get used to uh, you know clicking their seatbelt, and we want cybersecurity behaviors to become as you know as easy as that. You know, people don't even think about that right. anymore. It's you know click it or ticket. You always hear that messaging. People. Just do it now. And we want it to be the same way with, you know, you go online and you make sure your browser is up to date or you set up multi-factor authentication when you create a, a new account. I think these are just new ideas that as the general public, we have to we have to get used to and we have to get, uh, you know, bring them into our yeah, daily absolutely. habits. We'll get there. I think we're going to get there, Petco. Mm-hmm. I really definitely, do. definitely. Yeah. Jennifer, mm-hmm. thank you for helping educate you know, everyone on this and, you know, actually bring the human side of cyber to it and simplifying this because we definitely have a pipeline issue in cybersecurity. We don't have enough people. We need, you know, folks starting earlier to, you know, help them get up to speed and understand. And honestly, it takes a nation. It's not just one vertical like cyber. So thank you. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for the great work you guys do. Absolutely. And uh, looking forward to October this year, another great National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I love it. Uh, We participated in those in the past, and they've been really great, and especially the Twitter conversations, the real-time Twitter conversations. Love those. So so thanks again, Jennifer, for joining us this week. This has been a lot of fun. This is like all my favorite topics. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. And... To all of our listeners, Petco, you know what I love to say. We're going to smash the subscription button so you get a fresh episode in your email inbox every single week. So, everyone, thanks for joining us this week. Until next time, stay secure. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher.